The boat didn't have a name. He wasn't deemed significant enough to need a name by the authorities and registries that govern such things. He had a registration number, 6572929904, Human Terror. And he had a glass, Salvage Tug. But he didn't have a name. Officially. We called him Singer. If Singer had an opinion on the issue, he'd never registered it, but he never complained. Singer was the ship mind as well as the ship, or at least he inhabited the ship's virtual spaces the same way we inhabited the physical ones. But my partner Conla and I didn't own him. You can't own a sentience in civilised space. Singer was a sliver of a thing, suspended electromagnetically at the centre of a quicksilver loop, as thin in cross-section as an old-fashioned wedding band, but 150 metres across the diameter and 10 metres from edge to edge. In any meaningful gravity, the ring would have crumpled and sagged like a curl of wax arched over the candle flame. But here in space, reinforced with electromagnetic supports, it spanned the horizon of the viewport in a clean arc. I held onto a rail with one aft hand, lazily comfortable, as I watched the light sliding in Doppler-watered bands across the silver surface of the white coils. The concentrated colours of the ring moved across a background that looked like a dilute version of the same pattern, as the action of the white drive changed what would have been a gorgeous starfield into twisting blue and red light that glided like the colours on heated titanium. Those ripples of light were messages written in physics and perception, the information they offered would have seemed cryptic to most people. They would have seemed cryptic to me, 20 ans ago, when I was but a wee slip of a person, freshly skinned out and free of the clay I grew up in. Nyumba yangu, haina mlango. But I had a lot of practice reading their frequency and patterns now. Singer was... Well, slowing wasn't exactly the right word, but it would do. We were, to coin a phrase, getting there. Singer couldn't navigate in white space. He could only follow the course planned and programmed beforehand, coasting like a surfer on a wave of space contracting before him and stretching out behind. He, we, were not even, technically speaking, moving, let alone moving particularly fast. The universe was just rearranging itself around us, invisible to those outside the bubble of the white field. Soon we would fold ourselves out of white space and into the normal universe. We were looking for a scar in space-time, the tiny ripple of radiation left by the passage of a ship whose course hadn't been tracked by any authority. And so, when it had been lost, its loss had gone unnoticed for, well, nobody could actually say how long. We were going there on purpose, and we planned to stay a while, because somewhere down that Alcubierre white rabbit hole in space-time there was or at least had been, a ship. A lost ship. A misplaced one, anyway. We'd taken on obligation for an information broker who provided us with scans and imaging they'd obtained from the captain, who had noticed the anomaly. They'd also provided the anomaly's coordinates. The coordinates we'd bid on were off the beaten path, perpendicular by a good distance from the inhabited and regularly travelled space lanes of the Milky Way. But we'd been out this far before, and space was vast. Ships still got lost now and then, but they were usually better tracked these dear, 
And in the centuries since the white drive had turned space from an empty, intractable void permeated by loneliness and existential dread into a teeming, boisterous and mostly peaceful community of species, much of the older salvage in the plain of the Milky Way had been picked clean. Bright ripples across the darkness narrowed, sharpened, resolved into bands, then blurs, then points of light. We fell into normal space and began to close the gap on our EMP engines. Through Singer's Senso, I got a feel for the scar. It was a big one, and it looked fresh, which meant that the odds of the unlucky vessel that had caused it still being in there were pretty good. That would be nice, because our last two claims had come up empty, and the larder was a little bare. We hadn't even gotten any wreck-driving tourist contracts recently, which were risky, especially the ones involving close approach to an event horizon, but secretly a lot of fun. Connor liked them even more than I did. I wish I knew what the ship that found this thing was doing way the hell out here. There's literally nothing for light lands in any direction. Connor's speaking to me through Senso. He was up in the control cabin, it was supposed to be my rest shift. Sometimes, despite all the right-minding I can tolerate, I still have nightmares. I answered. If I had a nasty, suspicious mind... Yeah, Connor said. Pirates. Me too. You know they don't like being called pirates, Singer joked. Freeloaders. Connor came from a world called Spartacus, notorious for its atavistic culture, one reason it was that way was because it sat so close to Freeport strongholds. Border bushfires and the constant threat of raids and one's shipping being picked off contributed to a martial culture. And I wasn't supposed to know this, but Connor had survived a pirate raid on an asteroid settlement when he was a child. <laughs> 